Um, I'm going to continue preaching from Romans today. So our passage is Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. So if you'd turn there. Romans 6, reading from verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that we can come to this place, Lord, and we can worship you this morning in song. Lord, may our worship be be true to you uh, and come from a, a real heart, Lord, and and may our worship continue now as we as we look into your word. Lord, I pray that we'd see you as holy, as glorious, and Lord, as as someone that we can willingly submit to as slaves. Lord, be with us as we as we tackle this what really is a, a pivotal uh, passage in this book of Romans. Um, be with us, we pray, and, um, and teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. On Thursday, the 2nd of April, just three weeks ago, a group of militants from the Al-Shabaab terrorist group in Somalia stormed Garissa University in Kenya, and they shot dead 148 students. Many of them were Christians. Many of the Muslims that were there at the time were allowed to go free. And despite patchy media coverage of the whole incident, and yeah, a lot of people didn't even know that it happened, it's actually one of the worst massacres in recent history. Far worse than Columbine High or any of those other US shootings that we hear about. And from all accounts, it was an utterly horrific event. But one of the most worrying aspects of this attack, especially from the Kenyan point of view, is that in the aftermath of this tragedy, it came to light that one of the terrorists, in fact the ringleader of this terrorist group, was not actually a Somalian at all. He was a Kenyan. And not only was he a Kenyan, but he was also the son of a government official. Sources say that he had studied law, he played pool, he owned a business as a student, he was a rational thinker, he was well-dressed, he was respected. And his former friends said that had it not been for the photos of him lying dead on that floor 
after committing suicide, after killing all those people, that they wouldn't have believed that it could have been their friend that could have done this. But it was him. It was this man. So the question is, how could someone turn on their own countrymen like this? Someone who had such a great life. He had wealth. He had health. He had prosperity. He had friends. How could he turn like this so dramatically? Now the word that the that his friends used and that the media used is this word radicalization. You know, they say that he was made into a radical Islamist after being recruited by al-Shabaab. And that may be the case. But I want to use another term here, one that perhaps reflects the, the spiritual reality of what's going on, and that is enslavement. Not necessarily physical enslavement, although there might have been aspects of that, but ideological enslavement, religious enslavement, spiritual enslavement. Although this man's decision initially to join this terrorist group wouldn't have been, um, he would have been able to make that decision on his own, but very quickly he would have been sold out 100% to this evil cause, to this ideology, and there would have been no turning back for him. So it's enslavement. And this is what Paul talks about in our passage today. And although it's not perhaps as extreme or as visible um, as what this man would have been in relation to al-Shabaab, we'll see that each of us in some way is enslaved too, whether it's to one thing or the other. All of us are enslaved. So let's have a closer look at the text First, what I want to do is just go back and take a wider view of the book of Romans. After all, the book of Romans so far has just been one big, long, complex argument. You know, Paul's trying to make a big point, and he's making a case here, and, and it's unrelenting. Um, and, you know, I can understand um, if, if trying to follow it is a bit exhausting. Um, I certainly, when I read Romans, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to get my head around. And we need to know where this, where this passage today fits in with the broader picture. So let's trace Paul's argument so far. So the first thing Paul says is that no one is righteous. Not Jews, not moralists, not rebels, not Gentiles, no one. So that's the doctrine of what we call condemnation. And he covers that in chapters 1 to 3. And then later on in chapter 3, Paul introduces this idea of justification, That although we condemn, there is a way to be saved. And that this justification comes not through works, like the law, but through faith. And this justification was demonstrated by the example of Abraham, who showed faith um, despite not even having seen the salvation of the Lord yet. That's in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, Paul moves on to some of the immediate effects of what justification means. So we have the peace and we have the hope. And as we heard a couple of weeks ago, we have the origins of justification, that just as condemnation was brought about through one man, our representative Adam, so also justification is brought through one man, the representative Christ. So now we move into chapter 6 where Paul starts talking about sanctification. So we have condemnation in chapters 1 to 3, justification, chapters 4 and 5, and now sanctification. Now, if condemnation 
answers the question, where do we stand before God? And justification answers the question, how might we now be saved? Then sanctification answers the question, now that we are saved, how should we live? And so that's what is before us this morning, this question. Now that we have been saved, now that we have been justified, how shall we live? Now in reality, it's very difficult to separate justification and sanctification. After all, only those who have been justified can be sanctified. And those who have been justified must eventually be sanctified if they have been justified. I'm getting myself a bit tongue-tied here. <laughs> um, that's what it means to be a slave to righteousness, to be sanctified. But the focus is on that today. So looking closer at chapter 6, Paul uses two potential objections to explore what this sanctification means. So we heard back in chapter 5, verse 20, that where sin increases, grace increases all the more to cover that sin. So the natural question comes back in verse 1. Well then, if I sin more, would I get more grace? Seems logical. But the answer comes back emphatically, no, by no means. Impossible, is what Paul's saying. And the reason that it's impossible is that when someone is justified, it's not only justification, but it's transformation. So that sin no longer has power over us. It's no longer a part of our identity. And um, Andrew showed us that last Sunday. But again, another question comes back in verse 15. Shall we then sin because we are under grace and not under the law? Now, if you feel a bit of a sense of deja vu in hearing this question, then you're probably not alone. It's almost exactly the same question, almost exactly the same as in verse 1. There is a slight difference. The question in verse 1 asks whether we can increase our share of grace by sinning. In other words, isn't sinning more actually beneficial for us? Whereas the question in verse 15 asks, are we now not free from our obligation to be holy because we know that we have grace as a safety net? Now, it's just as well Paul does ask the second question, even though it's similar to the first, because if you look out there, at everyone out there, and even within the church at times, there's heaps of people using this, this argument, aren't there? People say, oh, it's okay. I can sin now. I can continue sinning. I'll just enjoy myself for the time being because sometime down the line I can always ask for forgiveness and God has to give that to me. And you see this all the time, especially with, um, with uni students. We used to see it at the hostels. You know, these students who would come from Christian families and be their first year and they would simply give in. They would just go along with whatever was happening. They'd be drinking like crazy. They'd be getting into sexual relationships without any sort of form of commitment or, or marriage. Um, and they'd be avoiding fellowship. They'd be avoiding time on their own with God. And all of this with the thought in their back of the mind that one day I'll repent and I'll be forgiven because God has to forgive me. I was meeting up with a guy quite regularly for a while and, you know, every time we met up it was the same thing. It was, I've, I've fallen, you know, I've, I've been looking at explicit stuff on the net. Um, and then as soon as a flash, after saying that, he'd say, but it's okay because I've been forgiven. 
And I don't, I don't know what to say because, well, that's true. And then two weeks later or three weeks later, whenever we meet up next, it would be exactly the same question, exactly the same thing. The same thing would have happened. Now I know I should have pointed him to this passage that we're looking at because the counter to this objection of I can sin now because I'll be forgiven it couldn't really be any clearer through what Paul says. And he's using one huge metaphor to explain all of this, and that, of course, is slavery. So Paul knows that, I don't know, perhaps his audience has a limited grasp of spiritual matters um, through using this analogy. Um, he says, I know your human limitations, um, or perhaps they just found it unusual to think in theological terms. So he makes it very simple by using this analogy of slavery. Uh, and that's what I want to do for the rest of this morning, is just to unpack that imagery. And I want to make four points about slavery, which have implications for us as we consider righteous living. So the first of these is that a voluntary slave is no more, f- is no more free than a forced slave. Now, Paul's audience may not have been the smartest bunch, I don't know, but being Romans, they knew exactly what Paul meant when he said that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Seems logical. In Roman times, there was a huge range of slaves. You had some slaves who were permanent, some who were temporary, they were working off a debt or working for their freedom. Some slaves even had some measure of power and authority themselves including some slaves who even owned other slaves underneath them. And not only that, but people become slaves in different ways. So you had some who were simply born into slavery. They were the sons or daughters of current slaves. You had others that were perhaps abandoned as children um, and would be sold into slavery that way. So, of course, there's there's no voluntary slavery there. That's all involuntary. But then did you know that other types of slaves were more voluntary. For instance, foreigners from war, they could either fight to the death or they could hand themselves over as slaves. Not much of a choice, I know, but (laughs) there is an aspect of being a volunteer slave to the Romans. Or even more so, you'd get some people who had massive debts and they would sell themselves as slaves to be able to pay off those debts. So in that case, there is quite a strong element of um, volition. But one thing was always the same. Whether you were a volunteer or or involuntary slave, was that was it. You were a slave. You couldn't go back, either until you'd worked off that debt or until you died. A slave had no rights. A slave had no possessions. In fact, the slave was a possession of their master. So no matter whether the slave was forced or had some degree of choice, the outcome Either way is the same. The master has absolute authority over that slave. And Paul is saying that it is the same with spiritual matters, that when we begin to serve one of our slave masters, whether it be sin or righteousness, and whether you even chose that in the first place or not, that slave master now has authority over you. Just like this young man who gave himself to Al-Shabaab, this evil regime. Sure, it was a choice. He decided to do it. But very soon, that poisonous doctrine had control over him. There was no way back. It's slavery. So what does this mean for us? Well, we need to look at both sides here. 
Firstly, if we have voluntarily become slaves of righteousness, if we've given ourselves to God, then we're not free to go back and sin. It's as simple as that. And just because we feel it was voluntary on our part, or at least in our perception it was, it doesn't mean that we have that choice to then leave that slave master. We willingly selected slavery to God, and so we now have no right to turn back to our way of sin. Just as an aside, um, do you notice that this analogy of being slaves to God is almost directly opposed, well, it is directly opposed to the image that you're given in Galatians 5.1, where it says, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. And here it's saying, it's for slavery that Christ set you free. So I'll leave you with that one. I won't give you the answer right now. Um, So if we choose slavery to God, then we have no right to turn back to our way of sin. On the flip side, if we're volunteering ourselves for sin, then in the same way, we simply can't change our minds. Just because it was our choice to sin in the first place doesn't mean that we now have the choice to make ourselves stop sinning. So do you see how this works? Once you've chosen your slave master, that's it. There's no changing preferences. There's no control Z. Your freedom is gone, whatever you choose. A lot of people these days like to think that they are the master of their own destiny, you know, through self-improvement or religious adherence or mindfulness. That's one of the buzzwords these days. Hard work, good choices, training. All these things, you know, are ways that people try and overcome their sin. They try and change their slave master from one to the other. But the reality is that if you're not a slave of righteousness, then really there's no other option. You are a slave to sin. And we no longer have the choice and the freedom to change slave masters. Right. So that's the first point. The second point is that no one can serve two masters. So as a slave, there was no option of working, you know, part-time for one master and then some of the time switching back to work for another one, um, a bit here and a bit there, because that would lead to divided interests. And you would not be truly a slave to both. Remember that your slave master has possession of you. So he's not going to want to let you go and work for anyone else because he's missing out on, um, on his return there. And eventually if you were serving two slaves, you'd serve one wholeheartedly and then the other one you would end up despising. And Paul touches on this when he says, you used to be slaves to sin but have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching which has now claimed your allegiance. So your allegiance is either to one or the other. Jesus, of course, says the same in Matthew 6, 24. He says you cannot serve two masters, in this case referring to God and money. Now this, again, has massive implications for us. If I were to ask you right now, are you serving obedience or are you serving sin? Most of us, myself included, would probably answer, well, you know, nobody's perfect. I, most of the time I serve God, but yeah, sometimes I probably serve sin. No, it doesn't work that way. Not according to Paul, anyway. You're moving in one of two directions. So if you're not going in this direction, you're going in this direction. Either holiness and sanctification or greater evil. Those are the options. Now this isn't to say that those who serve righteousness will never sin. 
just as it's not saying that those who serve sin will never do anything right. But I think we need to be honest with ourselves and we need to be honest before God and say, am I moving towards greater holiness? Am I given holy in this pursuit of righteousness? Have I cut my ties once and for all with my past slave master of sin? Because if not, the reality is that we could be still serving sin, which in that case would mean that we're not serving God at all. And you see this all the time, you know, there's professing Christians all over the place who they try so hard to divide their loyalty. They say, yes, God, I'll serve you in, in all of this area of my life. But in this little relationship or in this Friday night or with this money that I have or with these mates or with this hobby or in my private time or in this little corner of my life, I need to serve myself and serve sin. But don't be fooled, it won't work. As Jesus says, you can only be devoted to one master and you will despise the other. So that's the second point. The third point about slavery is that your slave master will ultimately determine your fate. Now, in all societies where slavery was commonplace, just as there would be a huge range of slaves there would also be a huge range of slave masters. So some in ancient Rome were actually quite generous with their slaves. The slaves were well looked after. They were well fed. They had good relationship with their masters. Some slaves could even hold their own property. And as I said before, some slaves would have slaves underneath them. And some could even earn their freedom or in some cases could earn Roman citizenship through being a slave if their master was of a kind disposition. So for some slaves, it actually ended very well. It ended in wealth, freedom, and Roman citizenship. Other slave masters treated their slaves in the worst possible way, which would have included torture, being sent to the Colosseum, like we heard from um, James a few weeks back, and in some cases, even crucifixion. That was uh, the fate of some slaves. So for these slaves, it ended very badly. And whether it ended in freedom and wealth and prosperity for a slave or whether it ended in a torture and an untimely death, it was basically all down to which slave master you had. Even a top-performing slave of a tyrannical master wouldn't be spared from ill-treatment and death. And Paul says again, this is exactly the same with spiritual slavery. He says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the result of being a slave to sin is death. Now, right now, the devil's going to come and you know, sell all these lies to us. He's going to say, sin's actually a really good slave master. Look at all the, look at all the great things that you can get by serving sin. Things like pleasure, or happiness, wealth, health, prestige, and comfort. Yeah, these are all good things. And, and the devil tries to say to us, look, look, look at these things. Serve sin and they'll be yours. And, you know, and don't we all believe it from time to time? We say the only way to be comforted right now is to go and eat a big meal of greasy takeaways or 
The only way I can be content right now is to buy that little gadget that I've been eyeing up for the last few weeks. Or, you know, the only way I can ignore my guilt and my own shortcomings is to be angry and short-tempered with my spouse. Or the only way I can get over my loneliness is to, is to go online and, and watch inappropriate stuff on the internet. You know how it works. A slave master promotes and promises liberation, freedom, happiness, all these great things. But the result is always the same, and that is death. If you take away one thing today, <laughs> make it this, that slavery to sin leads to death, regardless of what lies you've been told. How does it lead to death? Well, death of our relationships with our family, death of our church fellowship, death of our desire for God, death of our discernment between good and evil, addiction, and ultimately, if we go to the graves, if we go to our graves as a slave of sin, then it'll be eternal death for our souls. Consider the fate of this guy in Somalia who had become a member of Al-Shabaab. Straight away, he lost his friends, family, his good job, his, his money, everything like that when he joined this terrorist organization. And then ultimately, of course, when he went and murdered these people, he took his own life as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing in a spiritual sense. We lose everything. So we need to be able to see these things now and say no to the slavery of sin before we allow ourselves the chance. Now, the good news is that we, if we have righteousness as our slave master, the result can only be holiness, as Paul tells us. And this is what it means to be sanctified, trusting the word of God instead of the lies of Satan and being obedient time after time. You know, the sanctification stuff's not actually that complicated. You don't need a degree in theology or, you know, a big ministry or authority and all that kind of thing. To become sanctified, it's a matter of trusting and obeying what God tells us. It's not that difficult. Right, so we've heard all about how destructive it is to be a slave to sin and that we can't be serving righteousness if we are serving sin. So now hopefully you're all convinced that being a slave to righteousness is the way of the future. But unfortunately, it's not quite as simple as changing mobile providers or (laughs) changing brands of shampoo. And that's what leads me to the final point for this morning, and that is this, that no one can free themselves from slavery. Now, this again is a universal law of slavery. If you're a slave, then your master has absolute rights over you. There isn't much you can do to change masters. After all, you're his possession, and he's not going to give you up without a fight. You could try and escape, of course, but you'd probably just be tracked down eventually as a fugitive. The only way to be set free from being a slave as Paul says in our passage this morning, is to be set free. Paul doesn't say that you've worked yourselves free of sin or that you, you know, made a great decision at one point to leave your life of sin or you know, that you saw the destiny of becoming a slave to sin and that it would lead to death and then you, know, you escaped when you could. He doesn't say any of that. He says you've been set free. Now, how does someone come to be set free from slavery 
to be truly set free, your freedom needs to be bought, doesn't it? Because, like I said, your master's not going to give you up without a fight. You can't just be plucked out of there without any consequence. So someone needs to pay that price for your freedom. So you can see where I'm going with this. It's a ransom. We'll look again at our final verse of the passage this morning. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal life, freedom from sin, it's it's a gift. We can't earn it. But a gift, although it's free for the recipient, is never free for the giver, is it? And it's only because Jesus had put himself in this place as a slave to sin, not to commit sin, but to be punished as if he were a slave to sin, that we can be freed. And this is the only way that we can be freed from the clutches of sin. So then, how should we wrap all this up? I think there's something for all of us here. Three, three points here. The first is, if anyone here knows that they are a slave to sin, you know that you're, you're in bondage. There's no way that you can be saved. You realize that you, know, you can't free yourself. You realize that the ways of the world are not going to be enough. And that the cost is too high, that you can't pay that cost on your own. Jesus says, I can free you if you trust in him and allow Jesus to become your master, then he is the good slave master and he will, um, he will lead you to greener pastures and to eternal life. So that's if, 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 you, if you feel like you are a slave to sin, then it's time to, to ask Jesus for that freedom. But maybe there's some of us here who, maybe we thought we were freed at some point, but maybe, maybe hearing something today, we maybe not quite so sure. Maybe there's some stuff in there that we realize that we have been serving sin in some way and you're not sure which direction you're going in. My plea to you today is make sure. Make sure that you're on the path of righteousness. Make sure that you're serving righteousness. There's never any harm in making sure. It's never too late to say, Jesus, from now on, I'm all in. No turning back, leaving behind all these old ways and being allied with Jesus. And then for those of us who, who perhaps know our allegiance, some of you maybe, maybe have, a, have a great confidence in Christ and you know that sin no longer has a hold of you. Praise God. Make a habit of obeying Christ. Again, simple faith, obedience from the heart. And our, the, the, the benefit of this will be joy, will be contentedness in all situations, in all, in all areas of life, and ultimately it will lead to holiness and to eternal life. Should we pray? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, we realise that although... Justification and sanctification uh, are different things, Lord, that, that really we cannot consider them separately. Lord, that, um, Lord, that sometimes 
a lack of holiness in our lives can reveal um, a lack of justification, Lord, or a lack of right standing before you. So, Lord, I pray if there is, if there are people in that uh, in that space right now, Lord, that um, Lord, you would um, give them humility and Lord help them to respond to your call on their life, Lord, that they would no longer be slaves to sin, uh, following the evil ways, um, but Lord, that they would be reconciled to you and would be. Uh, content to serve you always and Lord for all of us Lord as we as we look at our lives help us to help us to make that make that commitment Lord to say if I've been serving sin in any way at all let me now turn from that let me have the attitude of Joseph who you know accosted by Potiphar's wife and said I'm not even going to have a bar of that didn't didn't blink didn't skip a beat he was a slave to righteousness. He was uh, committed to you. So, Lord, help us to have that attitude uh, and, to, and to enjoy serving you in, uh, in whatever way we can. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.